Welcome to episode 55 of Expanding Beyond. How are you doing, Monica? I'm doing very well. We are not dead, people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's just that, you know, like life gets in the way. And uh, no, I'm doing well. Today was a beautiful day. Um, it, uh, the weather was amazing. There was super nice sun for being October. Not not all climate change is bad in the <laughs> in the present. Let's put it this way. Not all of it. Yeah. Some of it, yeah, most of it, yes. I mean, have you seen Mexico? Not nice. Uh, but, you know, in my little bubble here in Munich, it was a very <laughs> nice day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. We're still waiting for the first proper cold temperatures, I guess. Yeah, like, I, I, I think in my building, they haven't turned on the heating yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, you might hear some background noise uh, because my cat found a new toy and um, one of my cats. So uh, she's going to have fun, probably. <laughs> and it's a bouncing <laughs> ball. So <laughs> I don't know where she has it now. <laughs> so if you hear noise, I'm sorry. How are you? Yeah. Uh, we were out today too, uh, sort of enjoying the nice sun, and and I already had changed my tires on the car, which is uh-huh. I'm, I'm very proud of myself of being so uh, so organized <laughs> and doing it weeks ago already already. So yeah, so they can melt on asphalt that it's too hot for <laughs> what they're made for. <laughs> well, I thought it's getting cold and it probably get colder, but it didn't. But you yeah, think at least. <laughs> Yeah, all signs point to winter is coming, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe in November. Maybe, maybe. Oh, okay, I like fall. I like autumn. It's a nice uh, it's a nice season. So. Yeah. so there's that. And since heating is not on yet, it's okay. <laughs> I won't <laughs> complain. <laughs> um, so what's new? We haven't spoken in a while, so... Yeah, sort of... On my side, uh, sort of, I started my my new job beginning of October, mm-hmm. and so far so good. Super fresh, yeah. I'm I'm still in this phase where I'm trying to get used to how things work there, so mm-hmm. that it's it's quite quite a big shift for me, I would say. So before that, I guess I was more in a standard, normal environment where you have multiple teams. People switch teams, people leave after a year or two, new people come in, there's various level of expertise and seniority. And now I'm in a team where I, uh, depending on how you say, uh, how you count, I'm developer number six or seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last developer that joined, joined 12 months ago. And everyone else had been on the team for, I don't know, five years plus or something. Wow. So, and uh, they're all, they are all very, very experienced people. Okay. How does that make you feel? I don't sort of, as a, someone coming in new, it is kind of difficult, I would mm-hmm. say. Because if people have been together for so long, they're experienced and they essentially built the thing from the beginning. Yeah. And then there is no real need for much of a process or documentation or having any kind of onboarding process. You just, I don't know, grab a thing and and move on. And it's kind of not so easy to get into it. Also trying to understand what the processes are, because even though people say there aren't any, that's obviously not true. There's mm-hmm. always some process. It's just not documented. Yeah. And you need to sort of figure out by trial and error um, what order things are being done in. And then you sometimes don't do it. And then you end up w- with a PR where then stuff changes, which you probably should have clarified before and stuff like that. So it's a bit frustrating at times, but it's on the other hand, it's a very... A nice team and everyone is super helpful and uh, you can tell that everyone is um, experienced because there's no arguments about, I don't know, single versus double quotes or stuff like this because everyone knows, hey, that's not important. So I think... Is that the bar? 
I mean, that's not the bar, but sometimes it is, right? Yeah, sometimes it is, yes. <laughs> that, that's, um, yeah, and I think it is also interesting, at least to me, it is interesting to come in at such a time and sort of the company sort of got their Series B funding recently and now the development team is also going to grow. Mm-hmm. And obviously you're going to need all those processes that don't exist yet because they don't have any meetings. So they had one meeting to welcome me, right? Okay. And as developers and everything else happens either in Slack or in issues. Interesting. And I don't expect this to work. No. Any longer with a, with more people joining, right? No. And it will be interesting to see what needs to uh, be added. What what's what are the pain points first? Sort of. I would love to have a retro <laughs> as mm-hmm. the first thing, obviously, because then you can ask people what's the problem. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. And it's. Have you tried to propose one? Um. I mean, maybe it's too early, but I mean, I mentioned uh, to the CTO that okay. I don't expect this to work any longer, mm-hmm. and he agreed. And then we'll see what happens. I mean, right now I'm still trying to understand the code and trying to get started yeah. there. And I mean, I think the next developer starts next month or so, and then we'll see <laughs> what happens. Yeah, I mean, at some point something will have to change. Um, yeah. Uh, when when we were talking about this during the pre-recording, I was like, yeah, let's talk about that because when I joined my latest company in February, this is also a very small team. It's like there's literally three engineers, two co-founders, and that's it. And a designer, sorry. There was mm-hmm. also a designer. And and they were they were actually having some meetings here and there. Like it wasn't as strict as a schedule as you might have with a you know like a well-oiled uh scrum team but they did had retrospectives once a month they had some um kind of like a kickoff here and there there wasn't really planning of any kind but you know like they have they already tried to introduce some of those things because i guess the dugo founders recognize that it is needed but even with that, honestly, it wasn't enough in the sense that the engineers, for example, were very vocal about the fact that like the few times that they got together to discuss about some topics, about some technical idea or things like that, they were like, oh, we should do this more. Mm-hmm. I came in and I was asking, okay, but yeah, this thing seems to be done to me, but you're telling me that this is not done to you, product manager. So how, how, <laughs> it's like, how can our understanding be so different? So yeah. I don't expect us to have the perfect ticket, for example, but I do expect to have a shared understanding of what done means. And as soon as I said that, I was like, okay, that's literally the definition of done, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So there's a reason why these things have been codified in certain, in a specific fashion when it comes to Scrum. But in general, like people need that kind of coordination as soon as you are more than one, basically. <laughs> yeah. um, so that this is sort of the impressive thing, I think, at that company. Mm-hmm. They have achieved quite a lot with essentially unspoken processes. So this is sort of, I, I, I'm a bit hesitant to say, hey, but we need this and we need mm-hmm. that because clearly up to now it's sort of worked, right? I obviously I don't know how good it worked, mm-hmm. um, but the output is there, right? But I don't know that that goes back to what you were saying. Like there is some process; it's not just explicit. Yeah. There is a way for these people to communicate well enough about what's the outcome, what's the intention behind it, give people enough context to make decisions, and there is an unspoken uh, chain of command. Let's call it that way. Uh, escalation path to ask for questions um, yeah. for un- unclear uh, things around the the description of what we are supposed to be doing. Yeah, and this is sort of exactly the thing uh, I'm currently, at least for myself, trying to figure out and write down. 
Mm-hmm. What exactly is the current process? Because there is yeah. a certain way of doing things. So at least sort of, I mean, the process is maybe it needs to change at some point, but at first it should be documented for all the people that are coming in. And then we can figure out if it still is a good process, if you, I yeah. don't know, double the team size or something. So there's that. And now that I'm thinking about it, these kind of processes, like the reason why things are codified bigger organizations is also because a very big organization needs to be broken down in smaller ones, like subset of the original organization. And even if we say that we're all going to follow the same processes, there will be local dialects of that process, right? So when someone joins a team, even if it's just for a while, it's not a permanent move, but the framework gives them enough um, knowledge to become productive very, very soon, very often on the same day. And there is a common language that we speak about which phase are you in, which um, uh, what's the stage, how ready you are. So there is a bunch of things that allow you to, um, what we were saying before, to spend your your spoons, your um, conscious moments to take decisions on the important stuff. So it's about, should I escalate this instead of how do I escalate this? Um, Plus, should I escalate this? That's one example. But it could also be as like, okay, I need all my mental um, productive uh, moments. I need my mental freedom, let's say, to focus on what's the best way of doing this instead of discussing what should I do? Is it really clear? Is this the priority? It's like all this stuff. So that's why as much as I do understand why people might not like processes, processes in general are are just a way to... Um, They're just like your co- code... Um, yes. Co- code formatter, right? Yes. They do exactly. the work for you, essentially. They format yeah. the interactions between people, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, that's a very good point. That's, a, sorry, a very good metaphor. Um, so that's why, like all things, if brought to the extremes, like, oh, this is not working. Let's put another process in place. That's not necessarily solving the issue. But I wouldn't throw the baby out with the water. Look at me getting all boomer about mm-hmm. this thing. Yeah, so sort of uh, we'll see over the next over the coming months how this develops and and what happens. Mm. So yeah, we do, do we do have certain things that I think that are uh, also obvious, right? There's there's the yeah. CTO who's essentially responsible for deploying any change, mm-hmm. um, and also the only one access access to uh, the infrastructure, which interesting choice i mean works if it's like four or five people yeah. but then essentially i mean he has other stuff to do too so yes and then there's this one guy um who is essentially reviewing everything hpr uh, more or less i mean mm-hmm. and the question is that that's also a bottleneck right so you, Absolutely. you you would want to have a sort of i i personally would want to have a team where this is more on an equal footing but then the question is how do you get there because obviously he's not reviewing it because he likes doing it yeah <laughs> but because he's probably the the subject matter expert for most things mm-hmm. and yeah we'll I see mean, there are people that like to do that it, it's i'm probably assuming too much in this case but it might also be that if you look at this from a different angle it is a status you know it, it it's literally status within the company. Like without my approval, this stuff doesn't go online. Yeah, I mean that's a sort of the question, right? Is it that, or is it somewhere there's some hidden knowledge that's maybe not? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some missing tests. Maybe there's some performance issues yeah. that haven't been codified somewhere to that need manual intervention to to avoid certain pitfalls. Yes. So you know there there is this. Um, uh, every now and then you can you can read it here and there. I was like, oh, you need to be confident when deploying. You need to be confident when, when coding. Your code should be confident, right? And the whole point is to avoid exactly this. I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen if this goes online? That is a blocker to 
you as a company to be as fast as you can putting stuff out there. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it last time, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I don't know if this is really the case. Um, I'm, I, I think I'm a bit That's too I'm new like, to actually yeah, know. Sense. But I also n know I introduced an N plus one query <laughs> like yeah. last week. Yes. And it was very hard to detect and no one did and, until it went to production. Right. Yeah, because so. that that's what happens with real data. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Was there future flag to uh, turn it off? Um, no. Um, sort of the CTO showed me the um, sort of graphs of a uh, number of queries mm -hmm. and said, hey, I think there's something wrong. Um, yeah. And then we found it, uh, fixed it and deployed it, right? Sort okay, cool. Wasn't no, but that's... too much of a change. but Yeah, exactly. Like... That's actually, in my opinion, a very good response. It's like, okay, something is off. Let's take a look and, and fix it as soon as possible. So but on the other hand, I'm thinking, it's like, can you do something differently with a small team? All that we are talking about right now is like, it makes a lot of sense in a bigger organization. If you are fulfilling your, uh, uh, your customers' needs, if um, it's not too big of a uh, bottleneck at the minute, is it a problem? I mean, if you were to, if the plan were to just have me join and then we're done, then of course you wouldn't need to do anything. Then I have yeah. some onboarding into this process. It maybe takes a while longer, but then eventually I understand how it works. And mm -hmm. that's that. And that's not the plan, right? The plan is mm -hmm. to have more people join. Yeah. I mean, if you want more people, then you probably also can't hire the best of the best. Yes. And then you have start having more more of a rotation of, I mean, it is just an anomaly, anom anomaly that you have like people stay for five, six years, right? And yeah, the original cool. people that wrote all the code, that's not a normal state. And I think that's the sort of the bigger thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because then you you need all these, the, all the hand-holding, all the onboarding, all the processes, uh, to keep stuff running when people leave yeah. and new people come in, right? I think this is sort of the secret sauce here that makes it work that people have been there for so long. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like whenever I'm talking about how cohesive a team should become, that's exactly what I mean. Because like probably this team has been together for so long. They clarified all they had to clarify. Um, they started melting together in terms of like context this is how we behave this is who we yeah. are this is blah blah and that's exactly what should happen when you have a well-oiled team then there's sort of a limit on how many new people you can add right yeah yeah because like i mean this is probably i don't know i don't have any statistics but i could i could imagine that one person a year is maybe the possible still yes but then eventually yes if you I mean, it grows, than, I yeah. think it grows over over time with more people you have in your team. But especially for someone coming new in a team with unspoken rules, then the onboarding time is longer. And that's what you are trying to um, be more effective at when you create all these processes for onboarding. Yeah. I was like, how can I shorten the time so to onboard someone so that instead of being able to hire one person per team, I can hire two or three in the span of a year. Yeah, that's sort of the one thing. And I think the other is also to keep basically your your unspoken rules as the rules in place, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want, I mean, if it's all unspoken and enough new people come in, then things will shift. change. I mean, they will change anyway. Um, but it would probably be nicer to do it explicitly, right? To have, here's our set of rules, we follow this, and then at some point yeah. we, with the new people, we decide together that we change it instead of it randomly drifting. Absolutely. One of the reasons why um, languages to this day uh, have, have this feeling of there's a right and wrong way of, you know, like saying things or writing things, like that's the correct way of, of a language. It is because languages are written today. So there is a codified set of rules that say 
This is how it should be spelled. This is how it should be conjugated. This is how it should be declined and, and inflected, sorry, and so on and so forth. Back in the days before we had, like, the written word was, was um, so widespread. I mean, the language was changing all the time. There's a reason why there was a high language and a low language, right? And in this case, it's exactly the same. So if if the rules of engagement of the team <laughs> are written down, it's less likely for these rules to be changing inadvertently. With, with, with the obvious downside, of course, I mean, the I like the analogy of, of uh, the written languages, because if you look at the spelling of English, uh, <laughs> you can tell how this was codified well. at some point. And <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And then you um, had the great vowel shift and yeah, everything exactly. went sideways. <laughs> yes, we will have to find the, the proper uh, YouTube video for this. Oh, yes. And why this happened. But then you sort of have this downside that you've written it all down and everyone adheres to it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that yeah. they all make sense and then you shouldn't be able to change them. Mm -hmm. but yeah. No, it's totally true. And that was probably the most difficult thing I had to I had to learn. So the way my brain works very often is like, okay, this is the rule. Let's forget why we need this rule, because that's that's gonna occupy mind space that we don't we need for other shit. So Let's forget about everything else. Like, we need to do it that way. Let's do it that way. That's the only thing we need to remember. That's me and my brain talking, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that is not exactly true. That's fine for the very basics, but very often you need the context of why that rule applies to make sure that you apply it in the right way. I think we spoke about this also some time ago, about how... When you're learning something, you learn the rules mm -hmm. and then you know the rules, behave according to them. So you are not breaking them anymore. You, you feel like fish in the water. And then when you are knowledgeable enough, you know when the rules don't apply anymore. It's like, that's not the moment for having this rule in place. So let's forget about the rule. So yes, in general, we should do this. So when you get to that place, that's a very good place where to be, but it takes time. And it, it doesn't make it easy to explain this to, to others, especially newcomers, new joiners. I'm thinking about juniors like, oh, but why haven't you done that? It's like, the reason why I haven't done it is because blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but that's an exception. Don't do it constantly, right? Like, because what, what this person is missing is it's the context why that rule was there, right? But yeah, I'm 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 actually excited about this change and and yeah. to see where this leads and and what what will happen. I always found that interesting. Approaching things with curiosity. Yeah, I mean the the other I the other thing you can do is be in a bad mood, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> you just have to pick one, and it seems kind of obvious in in the end. Yeah, and I guess everyone's sort of. I don't think they will have much much problem, and we'll just. No. Start discussing things, and then we end up with a solution, and that uh, mm -hmm. we go from there. I think this is actually a pretty nice team, and I think I I don't see any problems there. And now, Monica, the big review reveal from your side. <gasps> I guess. Um, speaking of approaching things with curiosity, I can really relate to what you just said. <laughs> you know? So, what am I gonna do next? The reason I'm saying this is because. You started a new job. I finished a new job. Um, <laughs> not because I want it. <laughs> Unfortunately, not because I want it. But, I mean, there's reason for for the company to have taken a different route. I'm not the only one. So the, the, probably the reason why I'm taking all of this, you know, like in an upbeat kind of way is because I know it's not like I have been fired. Yeah. It's literally like, no, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> so it, it, I don't have any good reason for bashing me. Uh, mm -hmm. So thank you, uh, fate. <laughs> so yeah, basically in two weeks, I'm going to be out of a job formally. Mm -hmm. So now the infinite uh, options of uh, the universe are in front of me because... What am I going to do next? 
So that's why I was saying approaching things with curiosity. Right now I'm like, I'm metaphorically poking the situation and like with, mm -hmm. with the stick, I was like, what is this? What is that? How is this going to look like? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I haven't decided yet. Uh, what am I going to do next? Uh, and there... what, I mean, you're not going to, I don't know, move to yeah. the countryside and renovate <laughs> a an abandoned house, probably. What so, are you considering let... even? <laughs> <laughs> so let's put it this way. Uh, if we're looking at the um, distribution <laughs> of the possibilities, <laughs> that is not exactly, you know, like in the <laughs> in the big part of the bell. It's more on, <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's on the, the YouTube videos you watch of other people doing it, not doing it yourself, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. There's this dude renovating a cabin in the Italian mountains. He's from the, I think it's from Denmark. Isn't he from the Netherlands with his motorbikes and stuff? I don't. Or are we talking about maybe it's else? another guy, <laughs> or maybe <laughs> there's it's so the same many. Guy. There's yeah. also all those people in Portugal or in Sweden, yeah. and so right. Yeah. And this dude is doing amazing <laughs> stuff. Now he has chickens, he has solar panels, mm -hmm. he has running water. I I I don't think I'm gonna end up doing that. So no, <laughs> <laughs> no. But in the realm of possibilities that are more concrete, I. I'm really taking time to think about what should I do next because this is an opportunity, literally. Yeah. It's like I do have some time to think uh, because I don't necessarily need to start working immediately. And um, this gives me the time to explore what what is the next move. So now I need what I'm mostly thinking about is how do I optimize, again, for learning? That's one of the things that I've so far has been probably the most important one for me when picking a new job. It's like, mm -hmm. how am I going to end up being better than what I currently am in my job? I was like, potentially also as a person, but you know, it's like that's a, at this point, it's a side note. And um, so what I'm thinking about, I have multiple uh, options there. So I could stick and being a manager there's pros and cons about that um there's the pro that for example as a manager it isn't as likely that you're gonna end up having an interview process that involves coding and mm -hmm. since i haven't been basically coding professionally air quotes for a few years now um that's a pro because there's one more thing to consider interviewing it's is its own skill it yeah has very little to do with what you're going to do on the job. At this point, I'm actually thinking that the um, cultural, let's say, like the personality part of the interview process is more fitting to what you're going to do than the technical part. And this is not only for engineers. It's in, it's in general. It's for product managers out there. It's yeah. for anyone. It's like the, the, the take-home challenge, the case study, whatever you want to call it, it's it's a very poor representation of what your job is going to look like. Yeah, it's sort of the it's kind of like the bar you have to cross, but it doesn't mean that you yeah. really are good. It's like so, I, I know I noticed that too from sort of from the other other side when actually yeah. hiring people. A lot of it was in the end some kind of gut feeling of yes, does that person Absolutely. fit or not? And it's it's so so hard to quantify. So that's anything. something that I have. Uh, promise myself that whatever I'm going to end up doing next, if I'm going to be involved in shaping in any form uh, the hiring process, I am going to really lobby for not having this stage or for having it in a way that it resembles as much as possible the actual work. I've seen companies, for example, presenting you with actual cases they had, Still not exactly how it's going to look like. Um, I've seen companies asking for um, uh, code reviews. I think that makes more sense than other things. But probably the closest that you can get to work is actually showing some collaboration skills over code bases that you can find out there. Sort of the bad, uh, sort of, uh, I don't do any take-home code exercise anymore. That's a... Uh, I I reject things like really? that these days. Yes, I uh, I don't 
have the time to spend on it and yeah. I don't see the value. So I think the best I've come across is like where you have this this online shared editor slash runtime mm-hmm. and you have a problem and you go through it together, right? Yeah. Directly with the other person. And yeah. it's not necessarily about you knowing all the details. It's just about they see how you would approach a, yes. something. So for example, I, I had a very interesting challenge from one of the companies I've been interviewing for. It You can tell that it's a real problem that they had at some point. And I was going through it and I actually got quite fired. But, you know, at some point I was like, okay, yes, I'm having issues here. There's this thing because I picked a library that I wasn't really, that I didn't really know. So it was making things a little bit harder, for example, to test and so on and so forth. But at some point I was like, okay, if this was the real world and I had someone, uh, so if this was my real job, I would have someone going through this with me. Yeah. So I would grab someone more senior or I would grab a sparing parent. I was like, listen, I need to talk to you about this. How is it? Like, what am I missing here? I was like, this is what I was thinking, blah, blah, blah. Can, what comes to mind? So there's that. And if this was something, again, if this was more similar to the real world, I would have gone and said to someone like, listen, that's the rationale for my decisions. And I, I would have, I wouldn't have written it down. Like I would literally grab someone. I was like, listen, this is why I've been doing this. This is what I'm planning to do. This is the direction I want to go. Like I felt like I had gone far enough to actually demonstrate that if you want to code, like we can code this shit, right? Like there's some tests, it runs, it's doing some of what it has been asked. I understood the problem. I also understand what the problems of my solutions are. So let's maybe discuss that, but I don't need to complete this to actually show you what I've been like the kind of developer that I am. Yeah, that's true. That's sometimes what I've done in the past too. I just uh, got to a certain point and then I stopped and said, hey, uh, this is how far I got and these are the problems and I'm not going to (laughs) spend the extra time because I mean, it is a lot of time you invest into something like that and you don't even know if it's going to be. I mean, and then I think, think of it from, from that point of view, it's like how often are you going to do that, right? Exactly. Like you can do it maybe once or twice, but not like for 10 different companies or something. No, exactly. So that's why like, uh, and right now I'm being very picky about the company that I'm interviewing uh, with. So it's like, it has to be in a field that I'm interested in. It has mm-hmm. to have a certain policy or for example, remote. It has to uh, have a certain technology and so on and so forth. So I'm I'm being a little bit more picky on that, but I'm still training for the actual interviews that I'm going to get once I'm, you know, like, because the first few ones are always like bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's true. Yeah. And it's like with everything, you haven't done it in a while. So you have forgotten. It's like, oh, that was the wrong answer. I also got very good questions, for example. I had a very interesting question that was like, what was your worst hire? Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was that. There was another one that was about how did I convince someone that I was right when everybody else was telling me I was wrong? And the interesting thing about these questions are uh, were that I really had to think. So the, the outcome for me, the outcome of these uh, this experience has been that people write shit down, like write your projects, write your challenges, like what looks like something that you are always going to remember, you are not. Mm -hmm. It's like I, the example I gave for um, what's the, what's the one time you had to convince someone uh, that, you know, like against all odds that that was the right thing to do. Honestly, like, yes, it was a good story, but that wasn't the most challenging. Mm-hmm. I had a very different one that would have probably been closer, but I had forgotten about it in in the minute. I didn't think about that. And then I had uh, I met this girl not long ago and she was like she works for the um, how do you call it? The European Office for um patents. So the mm-hmm. patent office. She was like, "Okay, we're going to hire, by the way, 
people they're going to hire in Frankfurt. So uh, mm -hmm. I think, no, in Munich, sorry. It's Munich, in yeah. the outskirts of Munich. So if you're interested, think about it. She was asking me what, 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 what's on my CV. And I was talking to her and I was like, yeah, I've managed this many people. I've done this. And they're like, no, 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 no. What I want to know, which technologies have you used and how? Do you know about authorization? Do you know about authentication? Do you know about, uh, I don't know, how um, Wi-Fi works? Do you know how uh, protocols between applications uh, are working? That kind of stuff. You know, it's like how the server and the, and the front end are going to talk to each other and, and so on, the, the server and the client. I swear to God, people, I forgot about that stuff. Like, it took me a couple of hours, like, thinking in the back of my brain, it's like, what are the things, what are the elements of the projects I've gone through that I know? How does that map to what we learned, or at least what I learned in computer science when, when, I, was, um, when I was in college, when I was in the, at, at the university? Because we don't talk in terms of like of protocols and whatnot, but, you know, like a service-oriented architecture means that you know about protocols of communication and you mean that you know about authentication even if you haven't coded it but you know the concepts so that that sounds suspiciously like uh, your cv needs to pass through a certain automated exactly. system and it's looking for certain keywords right it's not an automated <laughs> system apparently so there's humans doing that but they this i mean this is a public office so it's public yeah. administration so of course it's slightly different but they what they and what they need slightly different slightly, like a very positive word yes, here i'm i'm very i'm very nice so <laughs> what they do is like they map your knowledge to a certain area a certain department let's call it this way a certain team that is only taking care of security and by security we mean when when she talked to me about security i was like i don't know anything about security i was already thinking you know like okay encryption and uh, firewalls and and who knows what else like vpns and whatnot mm -hmm. and yes i i do know those concepts but i was thinking about very like what we what we talk about secops you know like <laughs> that kind of stuff yeah. and she was like no 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 i'm not talking about that like Yes, that can also be that, but you know, like that's stuff that you can learn. But <laughs> it's more about very basic stuff. Do you know how to salt a password? <laughs> you know, that, that kind of stuff. So they have to match you against a certain way that they talk about that topic so that they can understand where do you fit. But they're looking for generalists, for example. We're always talking how generalists are dead these days uh, and how specialization is the most important thing. That's not necessarily true. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, I, I, th th this conversation has gone completely in a different direction than when it, when it started. But yeah. so I don't know what I'm going to do next. So there's yeah. this option. There's options like I'm now eyeing something like data science. Maybe that's something that is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but then you need to learn Python, of course. Yeah, but honestly, like so far, like it's not that, that different. Yes. No, like, I mean, I sort of I I learned Python pretty quickly, and yeah, under I mean, it 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 looks different from Ruby, but under the hood, it's like essentially the same. It just yes, it's very very similar. What's gonna be interesting then, and that's another thing that was interesting to let's say, rediscover, unless you are looking at a very different language. It's like, again, tomato, tomato. That's not the interesting part. The interesting part is what you can do with that language. And this means the ecosystem around that language. So I, I was thinking more about the um, hiring process. How can you convince people that it's not a problem? Yeah, with oh. a boot camp. <laughs> That's I my mean, answer. I mean... <laughs> On the other hand, right? I've if, yeah. if you've worked along long enough, then sort of that that's the thing I think of sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. I've been doing essentially the same stack yeah. for sixteen years now. Obviously it's not gonna be a problem to switch to something else. It's, no. But how do you convince people that that's not right? Yeah. This is sort of more the the problem. No, I totally agree. I really, really agree. And that's another thing. So I when I was hiring for Beyond not long ago, so 
I, I think it really depends, again, on the kind of team you're hiring for. So the issue I was having at that point was that there wasn't enough deep knowledge about that tech stack. Mm -hmm. So they were good engineers in the sense like they were good developers. They could make things work. But if I'm my plan, well, because that was the assumption, like the plan was to build a foundation for what is going to come next. So I need to start investing in people with a search, certain deep knowledge. They know best practices. They know how to how does good code looks like and how does bad code look like so yeah. that we can build and share that knowledge and improve all together. So that's why in the end, I decided to go for a very specific kind of like, okay, I need someone that knows TypeScript. I need someone that knows React. I need someone that knows Next.js. And they have worked and they have a proven track record for that stuff. Yeah. But in general, honestly, I don't, actually the best way for people to learn is on the job because they're going to end up having real problems. And that's how you fix things. That's another thing that I uh, I put on my list. Okay, if we need to hire again, I was like, I don't, as long as the language that you are working with, like you have knowledge of that pattern, that's okay. I was like, okay, it's web development. If you're doing embedded development, it's going to be much harder to get into web development, for example. If you have done that in JavaScript, you are going to learn Ruby quite fast. Uh, you're going to learn, um, probably you're going to learn C-sharp fast. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe startups are a bit of an outlier here because you really have only a very limited amount of people that need to do a lot. So maybe yeah. that would make sense to really specialize and find those people. But then at a certain size, it's probably, yeah, you have enough people and that you can help And I think that you. that yeah. size is smaller than we are willing to uh, admit. Like the moment you have six people on your team, that's enough to start looking and widening your 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 hiring pool. And I mean, these days you essentially have to anyway, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, these days, I don't know, like the market has a lot to offer. Let's put it this way. There are so many people out there that are looking for a job. It's incredible. I was talking with this friend of mine today and he's in data. And he was like, I'm starting to get scared because it's the first time since I started working that I haven't received a single job offer in my LinkedIn inbox for five weeks now. Mm -hmm. That's scary. <laughs> Things are going to change. Uh, and I think they're going to stay this way for a while. But I also think that, yeah, so my my advice in hindsight is uh, to my younger self would be not to be that fixed on one technology. Yes, it makes it easier. Going back to your question, that's my potential plan. I I, I answer with, you know, like I'm going to convince people with a bootcamp and that's true. Like, it, let's see if I'm going to do that. But uh, right now it's, it's interesting. Basically, my idea would, would be to um, get into a company where that kind of uh, shift is possible across department mm -hmm. and then move into some different tech stack, uh, some, some different technology, sorry. And you can do this also as a manager. It, it's a little bit harder to manage people that you know the stack for. Some companies are going to be very restrictive on that too. It's I do see why. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still a bit skeptical. It's harder, but it's not impossible. I see that as an even less smart thing to do uh, <laughs> than uh, limiting yourself to uh, only people that already know that te your technology for for engineers. Basically, hire juniors that are not juniors. That's the idea, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I have experienced that actually quite a few times in my my previous company at, at Freeletics. We hired people that weren't experts of Rails or Ruby three times, we could have done it much more, honestly. And two out of three, they were brilliant. And they went on and they did amazing things. One of them was, and that was the problem, didn't let go of the old ways mm -hmm. too much. So then it stuck like a sore thumb 
every single time we had to uh, we had to write some code is like okay <laughs> the standard you can write fortran in any language thing, exactly right? so if you're trying to write c in ruby that's not gonna <laughs> work so that's why i was like if you if you are coming from an embedded kind of industry and trying to get into web development put some effort there into letting go of certain things because <laughs> they are not gonna be as useful and even the the little that i learned of uh javascript with uh you know like react and, and next is the paradigm there is very different it's not mvc it's very different from that one and it's still web development right so the basics are the same but how the applications are structured is different so you need to adapt yourself to what the new world looks like so it's not enough to do advent of code but put yourself out there and, and and try to try to learn on the job if you can yeah that's always the easiest right if you yeah. can sort of switch and then you have it on your cv and then yes. for the next job you can go somewhere else yeah. and sometimes that can also just be if if you really cannot do it it can also just be as like okay i have this problem at work this is how it's structured let me try and solve it with this other with this other technology or as a side project you know so far that's all i have to say i'll let you know uh what <laughs> what that is gonna look like in uh in a month or so uh i have my talk with the with the unemployment office in a few days uh, mm -hmm. that's gonna be fun it's gonna be all in german that's why it's gonna <laughs> be <laughs> interesting yeah um, that is but, true yeah let's see uh, tune in next episode for more advice on how to look for a job in the current market. <laughs> yeah, or how to deal with the German unemployment. Yeah, one bureaucracy. of the two. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. All right. And before we close this episode, uh, Monica, you've been on a what's called podcast, which I would say it's not podcast yeah, because I it's YouTube you. and and Spotify. Spotify, but uh, anyway. Yeah, so you can't find it in on any other platform. <laughs> but I've been on a podcast for um it was it, it was really interesting to to participate because these are conversations with leaders in the industry done with the CEO of a company that uh, it's it, it's kind of like a marketplace, let's say, for mm -hmm. um again, freelancers or even for permanent positions, so you can you can find both. And what was interesting to me was that, I mean, we talked about things that I care very much about, but um, my conversation was more on the leadership, hiring, soft side of the skill set that we uh, usually have as, uh, as leaders. There were other episodes that were more on the uh, hard side. So what, what I heard recently, which I really liked, is that someone said, hey, let's not call it uh, soft skills, yeah, let's call it human right. skills. Yes. Because yes. that's essentially what it is, right? No, that's very true. But that's very true. Like, I, I also, I usually don't use this this terminology. So thank you for uh, for pointing that out. Um, so it was more about, like, uh, how do you grow? How do you ensure that people grow in your team? How do you... Um, uh, diversify your team more and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So, and I generally told the uh, the host that I was happy to talk about those topics because I do think they are important. I was like, the main, I think one of the biggest differences my career compared to that of others was that I had someone that, a manager that was caring about my development, that was mm -hmm. caring about bringing me to the table to have certain kind of conversations. It's like, so he actively opened doors for me. And that is what we should do as leaders in general, no matter who we have in front. But that is extremely important for people that come from underprivileged uh, backgrounds. And this could be women, but it could be anyone else. Uh, it could be someone that comes from um, a different country that right now is, uh, I don't know, that maybe they're in Nigeria. Who knows? They are brilliant people, you know, but uh, if you don't, if you don't care about their uh, giving them the chance 
to expose themselves to certain audiences within the company, going to be very hard for these people to actually make it. As I said, I'm very happy to have talked about that. What I find interesting is that um, nobody else got that question. <laughs> so in a way, it's like I I, uh, I was reading about uh, the interview of another person that at the end of the interview, their manager asked them, asked her, you know, like we have, uh, there is a, a, a diversity problem in our industry. How do you suggest to solve it? And she's like, I don't fucking know. You're the manager. You are the, <laughs> supposed to be solving it, yeah. right? So it's not like because I have two X chromosomes that, you know, like I am the one that is supposed to solve this shit. So yes, it's interesting. It's appreciated that um, my experience has been uh, valued so much as to share it i'm wondering why um, we are not asking that question how many people have you sponsored in your company in your career as a manager to all managers so maybe another another round so go and listen to it uh i would be interested in knowing uh, uh what you guys think uh what y'all thinks so uh, let us know so let's uh, wrap this up then for mm -hmm. today. Monica, where can people find you? As always, you can find me on my website, uh, monicag.me. So there you can find a bunch of references to other places. You can also write me emails. So there's that. Um, you can find me on Mastodon as uh, Nearnight. You can find me on LinkedIn, of course. Uh, name and surname, they're there. Um, but these days, you can also find me on Blue Sky, people. Mm -hmm. And if you need an invite, I have awesome uh so same handle that's who i am what about you Urban? all right you can find me surprisingly often on linkedin these days <laughs> i don't know what it is um i don't know it's like watching a fire burn yeah that's like <laughs> how can blockchain and ai help you do whatever next time it's people we're gonna talk about this this is gonna be hilarious okay. yes i am also on mastodon all the links should be in the show notes anyway and if you have feedback for the podcast, you can either reach out uh, to one of us or you just write us an email at hosts at expandingbeyond.he. Yeah. Thank you so very much for listening, peeps. Till next time. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.